Welcome to another episode of Doing Being Doing. With me today is a very, very dear peer in the facilitation space. Someone who taught me a lot of things, but one of the favorite things that I remember about my interaction with him is, uh, you know, there was a moment in a training in Delhi when I was talking about being tired and exhausted. And, uh, you know, this person said something in a single line, which has stayed with me all the time. And our conversation was around how taking a break, you know, for me, taking a break means switching off from everything. But uh, for him, taking a break also could mean switching off from usual work and going to do work somewhere else. So his quote was something around doing different kind of work is also rest. Like, you know, taking a break from your usual work is also rest. Of course, he said it in a much more nuanced way. But I think, you know, for me, this relationship with today's guest has been about learning and unlearning about a context that is not very familiar with me. If you are in the facilitation and training space and you have often felt a range of emotions, whether it is clarity and conviction, whether it's a sense of dilemma, whether it's a sense of fear, whether it's a sense of imposter syndrome, that when you set out to work with marginalized communities or organizations that work closely with marginalized communities, I have had a lot of questions. Am I equipped? Am I informed? What kind of education do I have to invest in my own self? All of that. So today's conversation is really centered around all of these things. Uh, so please welcome my guest for today, Divas Watts. Divas, welcome to this call. I am not going to ask you to do a LinkedIn introduction, but I do want you to spend a little time on your story, a little bit about, you know, where did you start your journey as a career in your, in your career? How did you set out on this journey? Tell us all about it. Thank you, Shalini. Happy to be here. It's, it's very difficult to pinpoint one, one moment where this journey started. Doing this podcast, I was thinking that while we may be doing a lot of facilitation sessions in our professional lives, we are also doing facilitation all the time in our informal general lives, in our households, with our friends, with people we interact all the time. But if I have to pinpoint a moment, I think that would be when I moved to Delhi University from my town in Alikar. This was in 2009, must be around 12, 13 years ago. I was already studying, just to give you one anecdote, I was already studying at AMU doing PCOM honors and was quite frustrated at it. I did not know what to do in life and I had not much in my hometown. So I left that course midway, which was almost like a crime in my family to waste years in education and moved to Delhi, basically ran away to Delhi and chose the course of English literature, which I thought was stories. When I went to Delhi University, there was a sudden and a drastic change in culture where people spoke where uh, there were a lot of extracurricular activities which were not there in a town like Alikar and where a lot of uh, things started to begin, which is when I joined the cultural society. And when you join a cultural society and become an office bearer, you have to manage different societies and different presidents of different societies. And in Delhi University, there's a phenomena called FEST, uh, the annual festival that happens in Delhi University colleges. So... I feel that I did not know the word facilitation at that point of time in my life. I did not know anything, any such thing exists. In fact, I disliked AMU for the course that I was a part of. I moved to English literature. 
but i was still taking coaching for mba i was still preparing for cat because my imagination still then was that this is fine i love stories i'm doing english literature i love this but eventually one has to earn and to earn one has to do mba that was my world view at 20 and but when i engaged with people when i spoke with people when i spoke with divergent views engaged in different circles i really liked it i felt this is something which is engaging to me and this is something that i think i'm reasonably decent at so that's how it started and uh, after my college i was a member of a society and that was in collaboration with an organization and as i left out of college cat went midway because that didn't lead anywhere but i joined an organization called consumers forum which talked about rights of consumers and uh, spreading awareness about consumer issues and so on and so forth and one of my key role there right after getting out of college was to engage with regional partners do trainings do things which can bring all the allies of that organization on one page and even in that point my role was not training my role was partnerships but as part of partnerships you had to do a lot of trainings to be able to communicate an idea or to bring everybody under the same platform and that's where i thought the something like this what really helped me get into this space formally was my enthusiasm about volunteering so even while i was in a regular job i was volunteering at a number of places just like that so i would go to prabha delhi and volunteer for a program i would say i would just apply for their program i would not have much money the salary was very less so i would request a waiver of the fees of the program i would go and volunteer if they would say we cannot waive your fees or your money as a participant i would say okay i'll come and volunteer and help your team i really enjoyed doing that on the weekends i did many of them and in that process i came across this entire circuit of youth development of working with young people to be able to help them find who they really are programs on self discovery on social issues where the facilitation was at the core which is when i also encountered another organization called youth alliance which naturally became my first job after that the first job was kindu forum the following followed up job was at youth alliance where the core work was facilitation where i spent around 2 years and it was kind of a startup so there were 5 6 young people who were doing that which i believe was my first formal training understanding making sense of what facilitation is and unleashing its full potential and uh, that's how it started to begin with after that it became much more organic so that's how it started but then after that i worked with another organization so initial three organizations i worked full time as a person who was part of the team but then after that it became much more organic so then i started to do some independent programs i started to work with some organizations independently as a consultant i did different things i realized that there's a there's an incredible potential in this tool or even if put better you can say art of facilitation that i did and learned and i did not want to let it go but i was still finding different ways of creating change to me even when i was with youth alliance i thought that this is one way of creating change but i wasn't sure that this is the only way that i would like to pursue i thought there are other ways also so i tried and explored them also but i realized that wherever i i would go this would act as a critical skill to be able to work in organizations build teams you do anything you manage partnerships you are into organization development you do anything this somewhat and even if you have had a different role people may identify at some point that you may do a decent job with this and they may put you into it 
So that's how it organically developed over the years. And then the last few years were at Safai Karamchari Andolan, as you know, I spent around four to five years there, which opened my eyes to another kind of facilitation altogether, which is with a different community, in a different setup. It has different needs. Often it requires a different language. People have different issues. People come from very different and versatile backgrounds, which I never experienced before, which opened my eyes to an entire new world. And that's how that's how it's been going. So just to just to bring you an anecdote, because you said where I started, even if I work in roles which may not require my direct engagement in facilitation, I continue to take ideas or associations with different organizations where I can do facilitation. Because I was I was telling somebody a few days ago that if you ask me one thing that I get completely immersed into or get completely lost into is facilitation. There are different things that I find meaning in. There are different things that inspire me, interest me. There are different things that I sometimes need to do for a living. But this, if there's one thing that just makes me lose context of time in that sense is facilitation. And that's how I keep at it. Awesome. I think in a very facilitation theory context, it's the state of flow that uh, we find ourselves in, right? Absolutely. So I, I actually picked up a lot of things from everything that you just said, Devas. And let's actually start by how do you define facilitation? Facilitation to me is an evolving and an educative process to be able to figure out the better version of ourselves. Now, that could be different for different settings, but I believe fundamentally it's educative. That's one. If it's not educative, then it may not be facilitation which is my view. And when I say education, I mean education in the real sense, not delivery of a lesson, but where we, at the end of it, we come out and learn at least one thing or get to know two different things. So it's fundamentally educative and that education leads to some kind of evolution, which helps us as human beings on this planet to be able to find a better version of ourselves or find a better role for ourselves. The techniques can be many, the ways can be many, depending on who we are doing it with. But I think that's one thread that I've seen remains constant with whoever you're doing. And one unique thing, if I may say, which I encounter in the facilitation that I do not know many groups that I have been a part of or I facilitated where almost every single individual has found something for herself or himself may not be very direct, may not be very conscious, may not be very explainable, something that somebody can describe. Sometimes you would see at the end of a session, people would say, Haan, acha laga. and the food was really bad. So you are still wondering that what is it that the person is saying? Ki mujhe acha laga. But when you stay in touch with that person, three months, six months, one year down the line, sometimes years down the line, that person says, acha, wo hua tha. because as we all know, there's little of conscious that we all have. A majority of us is subconscious. So what it does to that, because one thing that's for sure, as Danny also said in the podcast, that when it comes to facilitation, it's dynamic. It's not static. So what it's doing to different people, it's like a movie. Actually, if I may, if I may put in that quote, I, I just, for a long time, we kept searching on for meanings in movies. We could all, me, movies will give you a lesson, will give you a meaning. And then I found this director called Anand Gandhi who directed a film, Ship of Thesis. And somebody asked him in a press conference, 
what is the meaning you are trying to deliver out of your movie? I said, a movie that delivers a message actually fails. He said that the movie has to do something subtle in you that you cannot impromptu realize. There's something that it does something to you and leaves you. And then you figure it out in the context of your own lives in the coming years. I think some of it is really true for facilitation also. If people take out very clear objectives, it's good. I mean, people if take out the clear objectives that, okay, I have to do this, small actions, big actions, all kinds of things. But sometimes, it's, in fact, most of the times and majority of it is very subtle. And that's what I think is what facilitation is all about. Wow, I love that analogy that you drew between a film. And you know, that also reminds me, sometimes the film remains the same. But if I have grown as a person, I just see the film differently. And therefore, what stood out for me in the first time will be very different from what stood out for me the second time I watched it. And <laughs> the point of that being, it's not so much of the content. It is really the person who's experiencing it and making meaning of that experience, right? I loved that. By the way, Ship of Theseus is a great film. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So if we were to move from the definition of facilitation, give us, and go to, you choose the word art of facilitation. Can you unpack that art of facilitation? What is that? So if we can, uh, for the sake of a better word, if we say skill and art, so if facilitation is comprised of what? I mean, it could be many more things, but essentially if you say skill and art, then skill is something that you develop over time and you learned about it. But art is something that you may develop, but it also comes a lot from your own experience of who you are or what you have done. I've gone to remote villages sometimes, Shalini, and there are these old people when I failed at facilitation, like I'm trying to communicate a point and the people are doing whatever they want. They're not interested in listening. I see that there's this one old, often woman, but sometimes a man. And he's sitting as if he doesn't, he's not understanding anything. And he would say two lines. He would say two lines that would set the context of the entire thing. So I have sometimes tried to figure out that what was that and what he did that I was not able to do. And then I realized he actually knew the context better. He actually understood these people better. He actually resonates with these people better. And he actually has more wisdom to be able to say something in this space, which I may be lacking. And that's why I'm somewhat sounding irrelevant. So when I say art of facilitation, it exists at all levels, whether you have some experience or more experience, it's not to do with that. But what, what I mean by art is that it's full of contradictions, compulsions, and sometimes kind of cross-polarized energies that exist in the same room. So while you may be taking action in a facilitation session, you may still believe that there's something else that you could also do. And that would have served the purpose better, but you still choose to do thing one. Now, how do you make that decision? That decision one can also be influenced by skill, but that also is led by a lot of art. So skill at some point may still be linear. Art in some ways, still remains more dynamic. So it's kind of a body and soul kind of a relationship. So skill while remains the body, the soul of it remains the art. And there's no fixed methodology to be able to progress in that. And it's not, it's not also cross polarized in the sense that it's not skill versus art. It's skill and art. And then you move at your own pace and then take forward and see how things come across to you. Somebody asked me a couple of months ago that whether we should go with more preparation 
or we should go for more improvisation. And my answer would have definitely confused them as it often does. But I told them that only if you are adequately, sufficiently prepared, then only you can do improvisation. You need more preparation for improvisation. If you do without preparation, you're going to have make a joke out of every one of us. So, and they were like, they were like, because it was that versus equation that was playing in their heads while it was, wasn't in my view. So similarly, I think it applies for skill and art. Awesome. Thank you so much. Again, lots of interesting thing. And I think in your own way, you bring your humorous, light-hearted way of talking about certain very complicated things. I think somewhere, uh, uh, one of the things that my reflection of, you know, the art of facilitation, and like you really pointed out that, you know, skill is your tool, strategy, tactics, uh, you know, ideas, uh, you know, formats and all of that. The art is in so many ways, a combination and assortment of so many abstract things that are in and around us, right? And one of the things that uh, that stands out for me is also your intuition. So, you know, you, you have a design, you're thoroughly prepared, you might be also ready to improvise, but there's a moment that something is happening in the room that you decide to make a choice, right? You make, you make a choice. Sometimes that choice is to, for example, entirely drop the agenda and go behind where the group is taking you. Sometimes that intuition nudges you to say something at that time, right? It's not something you plan for, but it just comes out of your mouth and hopefully lands well. Sometimes, and I'm curious if this has happened to you. So sometimes we take these decisions when, you know, we are, because we are reading the field, like Nadia called it in episode one, a facilitator is constantly reading the field and is interacting the field and not to attach to the content we end up making certain choices. And sometimes, I would say majority of the time, if you know one is aligned to the values and vision and one's intent, it mostly kind of lands well. As long as it was not an act of heroism or seeking validation from the group and you know all of that, sometimes it does land well. And I have had moments where, you know, especially when you're training trainers, right? And trainers tend to pick up on these things. And then if they come and ask you, how did you do that? Like, how did you decide to do that? And I never have an answer. And I, I keep thinking, I even sometimes go to my room and think about it. Why did I do that? And I have never come across, uh, you know, like, here are the five bullet points because of which I did that. It's so much an interplay of past experience, a certain sense of trust with the group as well as your client, a certain level of observations that I might have made really quickly. And then you just take something from your toolbox, which you know would work well, and it just happens. So there's this role of intuition in that moment where, you know, there's a there's a beautiful line in one of the poems I read, and it says, uh, how do you know the dancer from the dance? And I think in many ways, then, you know, it's very similar for the facilitator and facilitation. You know, it's the lines begin to blur so much, and you are really so much in synergy with your practice as a person. Has things like this happened to you? Have you ever wondered after like doing a session or a workshop on a day where you intuitively made certain decisions, irrespective of how it landed, you know, have you tried to understand yourself and like, why did I do that? Yeah. Thank you for uh, beautifully putting that skill and art while a context. Thank you for that. And by the way, when you were just explaining me that there's a certain intuition and when the boundaries between the personal and what you're doing gets blurred, 
I certainly felt that you're actually describing doing being doing. And that was better than the concept note that you shared with me. That was quite beautiful the way you said that eventually that happens, Shalini. But I think there's one caution to it, if I may begin with a caution. I've tried doing this when I was relatively new and it turned out to be miserable because you have to be in a certain space to be able to do it. You have to have some idea to be able to do it. And I say this because a lot of young people who are just beginning up, maybe listening to this podcast and they may find this quite exciting to try it out. I did and wasn't a very pleasant feedback that I got after the session. But that happens all the time now. Often it happens with me. There's, there's no specific rationale that I can come up with that why did I got everybody to sing a song at 3 p.m. when in the design it was supposed to be at 2 p.m. After 2 p.m. we did not go inside the hall as it was designed, we stayed outside. We did a 45 minute activity, which had some movement. And then I would justify it by saying that everybody looked tired, everybody ate so much, everybody wanted to sleep. So I just got them to do this activity. But when I have to justify it, I can, but otherwise I have no factual basis for it. It was in the sense of the moment that I made them do something for 45 minutes and I gave them a 15 minute break, which was also not a part of the schedule. And then we got back with the song and then we started to do what we had to do at two. What was to come at four has already been done. And there's no, there's not often rational, but I think that was, that connects with what I was saying previously, that a lot of it connects with the subconscious. It tells us that something may go well at this point and we go ahead with that. And it somehow works in that moment. And as you rightly said that it mostly lands. If it doesn't land, we cannot say that uh, we would have done something else and it would have been even better. We can always do feedback and critique ourselves and say that this was the bad choice. But often there's no rational for that also. If you're just pissed about our action, we'll say, humne galat kar diya. otherwise. So I think that is a combination of what we've done in the past. That is the combination of what you mentioned as trust in the group, most important than then with the client, with the people who we are doing this for. And then in what we come from also. So when we say we have trust in the group, I think sometimes they undermine that we've trust within ourselves also that we'd be able to carry the group with us with this action. I remember that a couple of years ago, there have been very unpleasant experiences sometimes because I tried something very adventurous, which I could not carry in a group. I remember in a group of 30 people where there were people from 20 to 65 years of age. I'm real. I real. I, I, I distinctly remember some 55 to 65 senior citizen people blasting me that what you're doing actually doesn't make sense. Another mistake that I did then was that I did not accept it, that what I'm doing actually is not making sense, which I'm also realizing. So this happens all the time and the boundaries get blurred. We can always find out more there. There are always reasons to it in the subconscious and also in the background that's going on. I think with time, if I may put it this way, there are a lot of processing that happens in the back end, which we may not be very consciously following up or detailing, but it happens all the time. We're taking actions according to that. And I think after a point, there's a certain ease in that. If you do that right in the beginning, there's some friction, some challenge, some self-doubt. But as you go ahead, you spend more time, you find more work in your communities, you realize that there's some gap reducing there and there's some ease to it. And I think it's a very pleasant experience to witness, as you said. And that's quite amazing. Thank you, Devas. You know, I want to go back to that moment where you said you have done certain things and, uh, you know, in that moment, even if the group's feedback is this is not working and, uh, you know, one believes, no, no, it, I had my reasons to do it. I completely relate to all of that. I've been through very similar journeys. 
tell us a little bit uh, you know tell us about a moment when you made a mistake as a facilitator and uh, you know how did you grow from that do you have an incidence do you have any strong memory of a particular moment in your group tell us a little bit about it so two quick instances one was this particular instance that i was talking about i was doing this in a small town in bihar and uh, there are these community people who are of all ages so people from 20 to i think 60 65 and it was a short session around 2 hours and the idea was that we have to start a project in that district so we were bringing everybody on board now the project was fairly new i had some idea but i was not too sure but still i thought we'd be able to do phase 1 of it and then we'll get these get get in touch with these people again and explain them some more but at least we can make a beginning the fact was i did not have complete information and i was playing around in the air with a lot of content which i did not have thinking they would not be able to judge me i will tell something i am from the organization i know something about this project and in the middle they actually found my bluff they realize that this man doesn't have the complete information but he is not letting us know that this man doesn't have the complete information so what happened was that young people and women were mostly okay very unsatisfied looks but they were like okay okay theek hai but some elder people like 55 to 60 years old senior citizens in that in that group they said yeah aap jo bata rahe ho hamare kuch samajh mein nahi aa raha they are not able to understand any of what you are saying and we have some sense that you also do not understand it completely <laughs> firstly to be honest i was quite shocked at their talent of identifying my bluff that was my first shock i was like how could they identify it because i've been working here for a year now how could they figure out that i do not know enough that was first so the response to that was that i became defensive as a nay nay sir you know no sir this is the actually the start of the program we'll get more information now they were quite generous people and very respectful so they did not tell me that they did not confront me with the fact that why did you not tell this to us in the beginning you're just wasting our time just because you had to do it but that was a big lesson that they were kind enough to call out my bluff had they not done it i would have continued to do it and thought nobody recognizes it while everybody does so my lesson number 1 was that they may not be able to clearly realize it today or recognize it today but they will if you are bluffing people or not saying the things that you are meant to say or not communicating the complete thing everybody identifies so they may not do it today but they will that was one so this was one incident which shook me really and i decided that i'll tell out the complete thing in the beginning to every group that i'll be a part of and i do that most of the times and sometimes we mutually decide to do something else if we do not have the complete content with us but i place it but the second incident was more interesting this was in i think 2015 16 i was facilitating this session with an international fellowship where there were some indians and some people from the us and the uk some parts of europe who were coming to serve in rural organizations in india and they came and there were some irish people in the group and when we were doing sessions we had to take some information from them okay what do you realize from this so they would tell some words now they told some words which i could not understand english words but i could not understand what they are trying to say i asked them once i said okay what did you mean and they said they again repeated it i still could not understand what i did was i mean quite foolish of me but what i did was while i was writing on the board i skipped some of the words i did not tell them 
that I'm not understanding what you're saying. This was in a very professional setting, like a very professional organization who called a specialist consultant to do this session in their orientation, who happened to not understand what the people are saying. And I was like, I did not concede that I'm not understanding what you're saying because I was very guilty. I felt I'm here to do a session and not, I'm not able to even understand what they're, what they're saying, not even their language. This should have been my job to be able to ask the organizers what people are coming. Normally the accent of UK and Irish people are different. So I did not have much idea also, but that was my job to find that out. And I played that bluff. I did not clearly say I'm not understanding. I just noted down, skipped some words that I did not understand and went away. I realized after the session in lunch, some people said that what he did did not make any sense to us. And that was the feedback the organizers gave it to me on lunch because I had another session post lunch. And which is when I realized in that I was, I think I, I feel that I maybe have, may have been a slightly grown up. So what I did was that I changed the format of the session. I did not actually also clearly acknowledge that there's a language challenge in the room. But what I did was I changed the setting in a way where everybody had to write their own thing. So everybody writes or comes to the board or writes in chairs. I just instantaneously changed some methods of the session. So after that session, I realized in the evening when I got more feedback from them that all of out could figure out that I changed the method of the session because I could not understand their language. Now the conclusion that I drew after that session was that had I shared with them, see, I'm facing some challenge with your accent. So it'll be better if we move to writing it. It'll be more comfortable to all of us. And also could have asked the meaning of some of the words if I wouldn't have understood. But I didn't, but everybody got this and everybody had clear idea why I've changed the entire way of doing the session because there was a connectivity in the sessions and I changed the way we were doing it. So I realized I just spoiled it, spoiled the opportunity for myself and for all of them. And there was a certain lack of trust that prevailed in the room after lunch, the moment I did it. And that energy never came back. I mean, we were there till 6 p.m. And that energy, that, that purpose entirely got defeated because we failed at step one. So both these instances taught me one thing to practice authenticity with your group because failure with authenticity still has less regrets than failure with bluff. So authenticity was the value which I completely decided for myself, for my own value system, without which I thought there's not even a point in continuing with facilitation because it will have no value. So those were the two lessons that always come back to me. Oh, they're such beautiful stories and so beautifully, so authentically shared to us. Thank you so much. And you know, I want you to know that when I was listening to this story, especially that moment when you came back and changed the structure of uh, the second part, for me, it's not just about you changing the design where everybody else had to now write, right, all of that. There's, of course, you changed the design. And when you said that you have to be authentic to the group, I think you also made a choice to be kind to yourself, right? And uh, I think somewhere they go hand in hand. Without being kind to myself, I also can't be authentic to the group. So to be able to say, and at the end of it, how are, how are we to understand 
so many other uh, you know dialects and uh, you know ways of speaking english right so i think for me somewhere it was very it was a very important lesson for me in my journey is not to be too harsh on myself also and to be able to say you know what i i don't understand the word or the language that you just speak about so why don't you help me do that having said that it doesn't come easily right because somewhere the perception of being a facilitator is that you're in control that you know or at least that was my initial understanding of this work that i would know a little bit more than the group and over a period of time you realize no you don't but i think uh, you know both kind of go hand in hand as a facilitator i can't show my own self kindness it's tough to be authentic you know to the group and the same way if i'm able to uh, be authentic to the group then i can give myself kindness and also sometimes also receive kindness from the group right the group themselves offers empathy to the facilitator in sometimes and i have also had instances where the group has your back i have had a fantastic moment like that in my career where it was a facilitation opportunity for an organization and i did not share values with the founder of that organization right so I, my values were in conflict with his values and but at the end of it you're facilitating for his employees you're facilitating for his stakeholders and i was in their space right but somewhere i think when the group kind of sees certain things and there was a moment where i said i'm really struggling with this conversation because this is what is happening to me and i remember that a big part of that group very specifically women in the group actually you know it's almost like they had my back and uh, uh, it kind of changed the experience for me so let's go back to this moment i think one is you know facilitation generally and then as facilitators we'll make mistakes in hindsight those mistakes are the greatest lessons we cherish them we've learned from it when it happens in the here and now it's miserable <laughs> and you know you are like oh my god let me just stop all of this and maybe go you know take a take a chai break or something like that but in hindsight it's always something that has allowed you to grow both professionally as an individual we acknowledge that all facilitators make mistakes right sometimes those mistakes are minor which is you know uh, the workshop doesn't really go the way it has to go you know maybe the feedback is straightforward and things like that but then there are mistakes that can have huge impact right let's say whether it's the safety of the group whether it is sometimes even like the vision and the values of the organization in whose context you were facilitating it's something so there's a point where that the mistake is a mistake and then there is something that sometimes in facilitation practice can entirely jeopardize the group's safety i'm not giving too much power to the facilitator by saying that but uh, just knowing that there is like all kinds of mistakes in the spectrum of low risk to high risk it happens i want to talk about when it happens when when we mess it up how does how you know what do you tell yourself as a facilitator how do you recover from it i'll tell you mine but i'll wait for you to finish <laughs> let's say you've made a mistake and it's been a long tough day there are a lot of emotions in your body as you you know are returning to your room or home what do you tell yourself uh, to recover and grow from that hmm very interesting question we do that all the time but i haven't thought of it as such till now I think I do two things. I use a mix of head and heart 
one feels insufficient so the first resort when something something wrong happens is to analyze it which often leads to over analysis also which eventually leads to nowhere but then analyze it and think about it but then what really helps me is to be able to decode the fundamentals of what i did and whether it was a failure in operationalizing it or it was a failure in the value system or the way i did it or my intention to do it or the coordination of it whether if we go back to we were discussing skill and art whether it was a skill failure or whether it was an art failure art failure hurts more skill failure can still be recovered and sort of uh, we can cope up with it what i do is so i have this confession that i often get into uh, stress which primarily arises out of guilt i still remember i would be in school and i got late i think by 2 3 minutes and this teacher told me i was been 5th or 6th grade and this teacher told me you have not wasted your 2 3 minutes you have wasted like 3 minutes of 30 people so basically 90 minutes i don't know these things you know which are told to you in childhood does something to you <laughs> so so if it's not done i would the first thought often it comes yaar ye to maine 40 logo ka samay bhi baat kar di you know i wasted 40 people's time also and their day you know and uh, got so much discomfort to them and uh, it led to nowhere but what i do is i question honestly with myself that whether it was intentional or whether there was fundamentals were wrong or it was a failure in operationalization if it's a failure in operationalization i learn from it and it's fairly so often it's a 2 3 day workshop if it happens on day 1 good for us so what we we corrected the operationalization issues on day 2 and 3 but if it's the issue with intention which also to be honest is sometimes there one thing that i face a lot is sometimes what i'm facing in my personal life reflects in what i do in go and do out now that is not justified because it's not an operational failure it's a failure of your own thing which you are actually just you know giving it away as gift to other people now that's not done so then i personally do a few practices so one of them is meditation so if i meditate and i think shalini i don't know in the beginning of the podcast you said you said let's take a long let's take a deep breath and start i feel that's like micro meditation and there are longer versions of it so you do what works for you basically it centers you to who you are and what you want to do and then it aligns a lot of things but then sometimes it also helps me to engage with a few people and find out what has gone wrong and the ways to correct it because often it has also happened with me shalini that i've done something wrong and i do not know how to fix it because i still do not realize that what are the core reasons for which things have gone wrong and you are on day 1 and you are still figuring it out but i think if it's intuitionally wrong or if it's fundamentally wrong then it's something to do with you and that's more serious to me as a facilitator affects me more but then it's in your hands how do you correct it also what really helps is getting lost in it as i said in the beginning because you're so much into it and if you bring back your focus it helps if you continue to be in outside world and then you try it becomes even more difficult so maybe the response to lack of art is more art and uh, maybe a fault in skill more feedback
or uh, more information or more testing or more preparation but lack of art is more difficult to fix i feel often it's unknown and it's always moving so to identify the parts and then fix it becomes a little bit challenging but it helps and what i do often is i reach out to people so i have friends i know i've reached out to you a couple of times and uh, this leads to after sleepless nights if i if i want to give you one instance of how much i feel i get lost in facilitation is that even after sleepless nights for some reason i'm not as fresh or as excited for a session as i would be for any other thing and i've never understood this equation that how this idea of consciousness trumps bodily engagement that ideally i should be tired so so what i do is i i i'm literally not able to sleep so what i do is i write and write and write and there are more mechanisms so i write i sometimes speak with myself in fact there is a there's a there's a fun anecdote <laughs> if you allow uh, this is couple of rooms were doing this at a at a place in the hills and this couple of wood rooms one next to another so if you would say something loudly it would go to another room and uh, i goofed up and in the room i was back and i wrote something and i tried to understand something but i wasn't able to so this is one strategy which i have not shared with any people actually but it is i do it all the time i speak with myself i sit and i speak with myself what is this what is this what would i do this that and constantly like for half an hour for one hour sometimes so by the time we got back to room it was already midnight and midnight i did my practice because i was i completely goofed up and the next night there were two stories in the session <laughs> they said either there's something wrong wrong in the place there's some mystery that's going on it's anyway hill area so something seriously wrong because some different voices come in the midnight but some of them one or two of them were my close friends so they said no i know where the voice was coming from i know the fault and then they said this man is there who speaks with himself and uh, we don't know we haven't encountered anybody else who does this or maybe anybody has not shared it but besides i mean till date they say that he's a madman who looks into the mirror and speaks with himself really close friends one of those who i go back to but then what happens is that i would i would decode some things and then if i'm still confused i would arrive at something so what i would do after this is that i would arrive at a confusion that this is what i'm struggling with or this is what my challenge is and then i would reach out to people i would write i would share i would scribble and send it to people and seek their opinions and then when i would go back things have mostly worked out so i tell myself that the work that i had to do before the workshop actually i did it on the first night so yeah oh absolutely i, I you know i think there are two things that we should just make it visible for anybody who is entering the practice of facilitation or has stayed in it for too long one is that i think it's we have to just normalize talking out loud to oneself i think it's such a great way of being able to hear oneself think and like you do it i do it too and it helps me uh, be a lot more coherent in what i want to design and i have a process of question and answer for my own self my sense of uh, you know the facilitation peer group i've interacted with it seems to be a very normal thing most people practice that so i think we should just like normalize that that's one the second is i have noticed this pattern about myself too just the way you spoke about 
it doesn't matter. I might have got a client briefing one month before and I might be, you know, reading, doing outlines, doing drafts. But the that final thing begins to come in, you know, begins to unfold in my head, in my vision, in my imagination, only a few hours before the thing has to happen, actually. So there could be many, many drafts, but there are certain things that I pay attention to sometimes only a few hours before. And I'm like, yeah, you know, so in many ways that design is also evolving so much. In fact, I know that I can really create a lot of panic. You know, once I was working for an international organization and the person was British. So very thorough, very methodical, very prepared, very structured. This is the first time this organization had hired me. And I usually don't put pen to paper until and unless this process of talking to myself and visualization is over, you know. And sometimes it takes me days and things happen on paper only a few hours before. And I remember this person who had hired me, this British gentleman who had hired me, he almost panicked. And I still remember, you know, uh, it was a weekday, late night when he actually called me on my phone and he said, can I look at some documents that you have started working on. And I, I realized that I don't have an answer for him because I am in this place in my head, you know, and I could be actually thinking about the design throughout the time while going on a walk, while doing yoga, while cooking a meal, right? I'm, I'm just constantly thinking about a certain design or a structure. It's just that I haven't put pen to paper and therefore it's not, it's not there. It's not there as a deliverable. Of course, fully empathetic to the client because I can understand where that is coming from. So I think what I took away from what you said there was, and I think I'm underlining that again because I have met a lot of absolutely fantastic facilitators who uh, have just started their careers. This fear of, I will make mistakes. The thing is that it doesn't matter at what point in your journey, one does make a mistake, one learns from it, one grows from it. It feels miserable in the here and now, but it feels really uh, empowering when one looks back at it and realize, oh, wow, you know, that was a moment and it taught me something. And in many ways, even being a facilitator is so much about working on oneself, right? It's not so much about the strategies and designs and activities we do for others. It's so much about what we do to ourselves, you know, how the focus on myself to grow, to learn, to learn to listen to my own self and what's going on, listening to my own needs and all of this, right? So now I'm, I want to move this conversation a little bit to what does it mean to be a facilitator when one is working with marginalized communities? But before you answer that question, there was could you define marginalization? What does it mean? In, in very simple words, if you could talk about that. I think uh, it's very difficult to define marginalization as such, except the fact that marginalization is in multiple layers. And those multiple layers keep on unfolding. I mean, I haven't read anything from a sociologist, from any sociologist or somebody who has worked in social field for like, let's say three decades, who have said that I've understood marginalization or this is how it works. I've always found that they've said that they would come back with excitement that I saw this there and this is how it works, which is not right. So what they're essentially telling me is that they've unfolded another layer of marginalization today after working here for three decades. And that what essentially is, I think for us to help define it in a way, 
it derives essentially from identities which also are known and unknown there are different identities that we may have no clue about or different identities that we may not be able to unpack of an individual including ours that we may be holding up that we may be holding within but it's a constantly evolutionary process where you also get into marginalization whether you also get out of marginalization so just like facilitation it is also a dynamic process so for a person just to give an example so for a person who lives in a rural village in bihar or west bengal comes to delhi to study now he was marginalized geographically he suddenly not now he has all the strengths but he is still marginalized by let's say caste or religion or language more important and more relevant or by number of other factors by the cultural attributes and so on and so forth so what i'm saying is that one way to understand is that it's multilayered two it's dynamic and three a lot of it is unknown because for human beings a lot of us are also unknown to us so since human beings are unknown it's not it's never it'll never be a point where we'll get to no marginalization but we can always be conscious about it we can always be open to it and we can always be willing to engage with the idea because identities as you realize can be very very polarizing we can understand ours but it's very difficult to understand an identity in the other person or a community which is in conflict of our identity and that's why we say gender identity is such a critical thing or caste identity or religious identity now more so language identity and regional identity if you speak to anybody in the north from where i come for them south is madras and i often speak to people in madras and they say south is north is up so it depends so for me marginalization essentially is multilayered and it's dynamic and if we keep those two principles in focus and live by it we can basically over the time maybe able to get hold of more understanding around marginalization and then that takes me to my second question which is what does it mean when you're facilitating amidst members who are from marginalized sections of the community what what changes let's say when you're facilitating and irrespective of where it is right like even i feel in a corporate room also there are layers of power differentials are there even in a very corporate room i could be sitting in a training room where all the members of an it organization in it but even then there are power differentials but here we are specifically speaking and i say this because of your history of work with nonprofit organizations who you know have devoted their entire work to work with marginalized communities is it something that begins to change or is it the same what does one need to be aware of 